If you're a new listener, uh, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13. Oh, Joseph. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. You <laughs> you actually really did do this. <laughs> I, did I was like, wait, Calvin in- and Hobbes? He no, you're right. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't change the episode, Joe, uh, for the recommendation. And then he's like, oh, wait, you did. All right, okay. Todd, go ahead. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joseph Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week, we are joined by a special guest, Alana Hallett. Hello! Welcome, Alana. And uh, we are going to be discussing the novel Life of Pi with Alana. So thank you for joining us, Alana. Great to be here. Uh, Alana is a longtime listener and actually provided our first uh, art when we, well, I guess our second art when we updated from kind of a generic. Yeah, cover that art doesn't count <laughs> for the protagonist <laughs> podcast. Uh, Alana Hallett gave us our first update, so thank you very much, Alana. Yeah, I'm uh, so glad you're here. It... <laughs> I know it's been a long time since I've been listening to you guys, and I've not been on here. <laughs> well, we we're happy to have you. You also suggested one of our most popular episodes early on, uh, Gunner Creek Court, the uh, yeah. online web comic. I do enjoy that web comic. All right, well, a touch more uh, info about this. Again, we're talking about Life of Pi, which is a 2001 novel by Jan Martel, and it tells the story of Pi Patel, an Indian boy who is very intellectual and very spiritual and who survives for a very long time on a lifeboat with a tiger named Richard Parker. And if that sounds interesting to you, you may want to consider listening to it on Audible. And today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com, where you can get a free uh, audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles await you, including Life of Pi. I will say that the audio actually is quite good. I, uh, When I re-listened to it, um, I uh, downloaded it, not from Audible, from the library, but <laughs> it is a good recording, so go do that. All right. How did you all first discover Life of Pi? <laughs> I have a fun little story with this one. I discovered Life of Pi because I am a fan of the number Pi. For those of you not benefiting from the video, I am wearing an I Heart Pi t-shirt right now. (laughs) I am very, very fond of the number Pi. I've memorized hundreds of digits of Pi. And so I go to the library or the bookstore, wherever it was, and I look at a book and it's like, Life of Pi? I love Pi! Read the back of the book and find out, oh, it's about a kid and a tiger on a lifeboat and pretty much nothing to do with the number pi. So you were more excited about the idea of the life of the numeral pi. Yes, (laughs) I was. Um, But I kind of wanted nerd cred anyway, so I did buy a copy of the book, and it sat on my shelf for probably a couple of years. Finally read it in 2012, fell in love with the book, and that's me and life of pi. Well, for me, um, I was kind of aware of its existence. Like I heard people talking about the book and I also knew of the film uh, that was uh, adapted from it and was very popular both with critics and with moviegoers. But I haven't seen that movie and had never read the book. And then listener Andrea asked us if we would do Life of Pi and it got onto our schedule. And then I had to read Life of Pi. And I'm really glad it got onto our schedule because I really enjoyed this book. (laughs) I, uh, I was also aware of it for a while before... I, I saw the film when it came out, like pretty recently after it came out. Um, I had students. I mean, so many people have told me Life of Pi is their favorite book. And I also thought it was about the number Pi or, or something. <laughs> I, did not, I did not realize it was well, about. It is spelled that 
I know. It's so deceiving. Uh, but then my wife and I went and watched the film, and I thought the film was good, but I was like, I don't really understand why so many people say that this is, like, the greatest story ever. And I also didn't uh, – and a lot of people, like, specifically recommended it to me. Like, you would really like Life of Pi. And I was like, nah, I thought it was okay. And then I uh, listened to the audiobook over the last few days, and my goodness, it is a really good book and a far better book than it is a movie, I think. They each have their strengths. With the movie, you actually get to see all the cool pictures and stuff. The the cinematography in that movie is quite good. I it is. But I, it was considered the best of the year by the Academy. <laughs> if you're if you have to if you have to exchange like visuals for being inside a pie's head, I would take being I would take pie's head. <laughs> and like the whole Fair. backstory, the whole first part of this is like a a footnote to the to the film, and I think it's one of the strongest parts of the book. So okay. Fair point. All right, well, some trivia about this book. Jan Martel is a Spanish-born Canadian author, and though this was not his first book, it was rejected by multiple publishers. So listeners, perhaps that manuscript you have with numerous rejection notices could become an international bestseller because Life of Pi, once it was published, almost immediately became a number one international bestseller, and it sold more than 12 million copies. That is more than 10, or at least more than Pi. (laughs) It's more than Pi. Uh, and in 2012, uh, this is the film adaptation we've been mentioning. It was directed by Ang Lee, and that film was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it won for Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Visual Effects, and Best Score. And um, this, I'm just going to quote directly from Wikipedia, because I didn't know how to summarize this, and it seemed to have all the good information right in this paragraph. And it's about the tiger named Richard Parker. Uh, the name of Martell's tiger, Richard Parker, was inspired by a character in Edgar Allan Poe's nautical adventure novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. In this book, Richard Parker is a mutineer who is stranded and eventually cannibalized on the hull of an overturned ship. And there's a dog aboard who is named Tiger. Uh, the a- author also had in mind another occurrence of the name. In the famous legal case R.V. Dudley and Stevens in 1884, there was a shipwreck, uh, which again resulted in the cannibalism of a cabin boy named Richard Parker, this time in a lifeboat. And a third Richard Parker drowned in the sinking of the Francis Spate in 1846, described by the author Jack London, uh, and later, the cabin boy, cabin boy in that story, uh, a cabin boy in that story, was cannibalized. And having read about these events, Jan Martel thought so many victimized Richard Parkers had to mean something. That's amazing. I have never heard that. And there's another tragic Richard Parker that I may, I thought of every single time that this name appeared in the book. And that would be Peter Parker's dad, who died <gasps> in a plane crash. What? I didn't realize his first name was Richard. Yes. Unbelievable. Wow. That's uh, amazing. That's I would trivia. say like I would say <laughs> like, that I don't know how to go out above that. On trivia. I I would say that that's great detective work except like you just read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> but, yeah. but it it really is amazing. Like somebody did some great detective work. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we get into the full synopsis of the story, we we'll just remind our listeners to take advantage of great deals from Amazon uh, by making all of their purchases on Amazon through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon, especially in the holiday season when you are probably making more purchases than normal through Amazon. Uh, We would ask you to do that. It looks like regular Amazon and takes nothing out of your pocket, but we get a little kickback from Amazon anytime anyone uses the link protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. All right, listeners, we're now going to be entering the spoiler zone. So if you want to go read the book or listen to the Audible uh, version first, you should go do that now. Pause the podcast. Come back. We'll still be here. Uh, but Alana is going to be uh, providing us a full summary of this amazing book. Okay. 
We start with a frame story where an unnamed author, presumably Jan Martel, has writer's block. He tries to go several places for inspiration, like all over the world, and is still blocked. Eventually, he ends up in India, and he's talking to this elderly man who sends the author to a friend of his in order to hear a story that, quote, will make him believe in God. So the author meets this guy, uh, Pissin Molitor Patel. I'm horrible at that name. Um, and he tells about, uh, he's an old man, or not, a middle-aged man at this point, but he tells about his days as a young Indian boy from Pondicherry. Um, his name comes from the Pissing Molitor swimming pool in Paris, but after the other kids make fun of Pissing, uh, he declares to his classes that he would rather be called Pi like the number 3.14. That is the only time we get that number in the whole book. I am sad, but Although it's still a good I, book. I want to come back to that, because I think there's more to it than that, but continue. Okay. Pi's father runs a zoo, and he teaches Pi and his brother about the nature of animals. They aren't romanticized creatures who yearn for freedom. They just want food, water, nice, safe territory, and they all have some measure of madness. In order to prove how serious wild animals are, uh, Pi's father makes Pi and his brother watch as a hungry tiger eats a live goat and just tears it apart, and it is very horrifying. Um, Pi's father goes through every single animal in the zoo and describes how they will all attack you if provoked. Well, except for domesticated guinea pigs, but <laughs> they're domesticated. Real guinea pigs, they can still get ya. Um, Pi loves religions, and he believes that he shouldn't restrict God to one. He was uh, So Pi was born a Hindu, which is a religion that helps him recognize his place in the universe. Uh, when he's 14 years old, uh, he learns about Jesus Christ after he's like wandering across a church and meeting a fellow named Father Martin. And he tells him all about the atonement. And this just baffles Pi because you take a god and you have him sacrifice for someone else's crimes. And that just makes no sense to him at all. But over time, he starts to love the religion and and it's like, love is the answer to everything. And he asks to become a Christian. And then a year later, Pai finds a devout Muslim baker named Satish Kumar. And his prayer fascinates Pai. And Pai starts to pray with him. And he really appreciates how Islam helps you focus on a personal relationship with God. And then, of course, Pai's parents find out that Pai is practicing three different religions. And his justification for this is he just wants to love God. Okay, so when Pi is 16, he has his family, or his family has to sell the zoo. Uh, the family and animals board a Japanese cargo ship that will take them all to America. Uh, during the trip, though, something happens in the middle of the night. Pi is not exactly sure what that something was, but there's kind of a moderately, moderately powerful storm, and water starts flooding the ship, and somehow the animals get out of their cages, and then one of the ship's crew throws life, Pi onto a lifeboat. In this, all this confusion, a zebra jumps onto the lifeboat with Pi, and the boat plummets down to the ocean. Uh, Pi notices that Richard Parker is in the water, and he calls out to him to come to the lifeboat. But just as Richard Parker does so, uh, Pi realizes, eh, the last thing I want right now is a tiger with me. Like, this is the first time in the whole book that you realize that Richard Parker is a tiger. So, interesting thing. Um... Once uh, daylight comes, Pi sees the zebra's leg is broken and that there's also a hyena who is on the boat and uh, the storm subsides. And all of a sudden, uh, Orange Juice the orangutan is uh, shows up floating on a net filled with bananas. And Pi is really happy about this and he pulls her up on board of the boat. 
Um, the hyena and the orangutan, they don't really like each other, but they tolerate each other at least. Um, in the night, uh, the hyena tears off the zebra's leg, and Pai is just trying to ignore this as best as he possibly can. Um, and anytime the zebra does something to the, anytime the hyena does something to the zebra, Orange Juice is just really, really mad at him. And after the zebra finally dies, it all just comes to a head. And orangutan and hyena, they fight with each other. And though the orangutan puts up a good fight, the hyena kills her. Um, and the hyena turns to attack Pi when all of a sudden Richard Parker comes out from under the tarpaulin and shortly after kills the hyena. Yeah, Richard Parker was seasick for that first few days. So now and, and maybe sedated. That is because, another possibility. Because of the initial voyage, that's one of the things. But yeah. Um, anyway. Um so Pi is now alone with a tiger and he starts making some long term plans for surviving this because no sign of help has arrived or anything like that. So he makes a raft to put some distance between him and Richard Parker. He finds some rations. And of course, he's just wondering this whole time, how do I kill this tiger so without me being killed? <laughs> and he finally realizes nothing's going to work, like not even waiting him out because that'll just push Richard Parker to go eat the only thing that could be food, which is pie. Um, so the only way to survive is to tame the tiger, kind of like a circus, eh, and then just work to make sure that both of them are surviving. And of course, if we have this tiger, we, if we're keeping him happy, he's going to need some food. So Pi tries fishing with his shoe, and it doesn't really work. But then all of a sudden, these flying fish just jump out and get in the boat. And so Pi takes one of these flying fish to use as his bait, and he is just really traumatized by the fact that he has to kill this fish. And But he does end up killing it and uses it as bait and gets some more food uh, for Mr. Tiger there. Anyway, after the events of that first week, Pi isn't really sure what happened when, so this is kind of all jumbled together. But he's got good days, he's got bad days, mostly bad days. Uh, but he does keep busy, <laughs> and he does what he has to in order to survive. Uh, he gets used to things that would have horrified him, like he stops being a vegetarian, um, and he starts killing fish, turtles, and other sea creatures for food. Um, he also uh, uses Richard Parker's susceptibility to seasickness plus a whistle and teach the tiger, this is good and this is bad. And you use this sort of thing to kind of establish, this is my territory, this is your territory. And all this while, Pi is thinking about God, and he adapts various religious rituals that he knows to this setting where he's on a boat. And he's trying to remind himself of his place in creation, but at the end of the day, he's stuck pretty much alone on a lifeboat, and he does every so often cycle back in despair, no matter how much he tries to be optimistic. Um, over time, uh, Richard Parker and Pi both become pretty weak, and there's a long stretch where th there's no food. And Pi is on the brink of starvation at this point, and all of a sudden, a Frenchman's voice comes out of nowhere, and <laughs> they both talk about all the wonderful things they want to eat. And they're like, they're both blind, they're both starving on a lifeboat, and... Then uh, the two boats come together and Frenchman comes aboard and he's like, ah, I'm going to get you Pi, or well, he doesn't use his name, but uh, he Frenchman attacks, Pi kills, well, no, Richard Parker, sorry, kills the Frenchman and then uh, 
Pie kind of raids the guy's boat and uh, he uses the Frenchman's body, like parts of his flesh to like fish for more food. And he does eat a little bit of him and it, he's kind of disgusted with himself by this, but he does what he has to survive. So uh, he does live long enough to get some more food. And then at some point, Pi comes across an island of trees and algae and no soil. Uh, the algae is edible, so Pi just snarfs it down and he just takes this much-needed respite. The island has countless meerkats that don't really run away when per Richard Parker eats some of them. The only thing these meerkats really do is they go into the trees at nightfall and go back down to this freshwater pond to catch some dead fish at daybreak. And after some several weeks of Pi just like having this glorious time where he doesn't have to worry about anything, uh, he goes in this tree and he finds in some like this weird tree fruit type stuff, um, some human teeth and there's like a full set of human teeth. And Pi realizes that um, the island actually is a carnivore. Um, <laughs> it's waters become highly acidic at night and the trees will also dissolve you because there's water in the trees, but it's like not as fast. But over time, if you like stay in those trees too long, you'll dissolve too. And Pi is really freaked out about this. And he decides I'm getting off this island before this island kills me. And um, though he could have just left Richard Parker to die in this place, by this point, Pi and Richard Parker, he's like, we're buds. We have to survive together. And he makes sure that Richard Parker gets on the boat before he leaves the island. Eventually, we've got, it's 227 days after he's been uh, out on this uh, lifeboat after that cargo ship sank. Pi finally reaches the shores of Mexico. And the Richard Parker, he just leaps out of the boat and he goes into the jungle and he doesn't even look back. And Pi is very freaked out about this. Like it's like he's literally crying because uh, Richard Parker didn't look back. He didn't even acknowledge the relationship that they've had for all these months and he didn't end it properly. And that's very sad for him. But Pi is rescued. He's hospitalized. And then a pair of Japanese men come to ter interrogate Pi about the ship sinking to try and figure out why did the ship sink? There's no reason that thinks the ship should have sunk. So Pi tells them this whole story that we've just been listening to this whole time. And these Japanese interrogators, they find this pretty difficult to believe. Like Pi can like prove things like bananas float. That totally <laughs> happens. And he, there's like some like little small creature bones on the boat, but you can't really tell if those were meerkat bones or some other creatures but there's just like not very much concrete evidence for this whole story and so the interrogators just prod Pi until he'll give them a story that they can believe and so Pi gives them this one here Pi ends up on the lifeboat with French cook a Taiwanese sailor and Pi's mother the cook is just quick to embrace the disgusting and he's like, eating flies long before starvation kicks in. Uh, the sailor suffers a broken leg that gets infected and the cook ch chops it off for fish bait. Um, when the sailor dies, the cook guts the corpse and even eats some of him. Pai's mother is furious with Cook's monstrous behavior, but she tolerates his presence because they need this guy's help to survive because he's the only one who knows how. Um, after Pai loses a turtle, a turtle when they're 
fishing, um, the cook hits him really hard and Pai's mother just freaks out. She hits the cook and they both start fighting like crazy. And though she puts up a good fight, the cook kills her. Um, in the morning, Pai just stabs and kills the cook and he eats part of the cook as well. But afterward, Pai is just alone on this boat. He turns to God and he survives. The two Japanese men notice that there's some parallels between the two stories, so not everything lines up. Uh, they continue to try to figure out, well, how did the ship sink? Uh, but it's pretty clear Pi doesn't really know. He doesn't have anything helpful for this. Um, so they give up, and they're about to leave, and Pi asks them one question. Which story do they prefer? If the facts don't make any difference to them. And after giving it a little thought, they decide, you know what? The story with the tiger is the better story. Pai thanks them and says, and so it goes with God. The author finishes this book with a quote from the Japanese report. They say that Pai's story is, quote, unparalleled in the history of shipwrecks. Very few castaways can claim to have survived so long at sea as Mr. Patel and none in the company of an adult bagel tiger. End. Thank you. Well done. That was a good summary. Thank you. Um, we've run into this instance sometimes where, like, when you do the summary, you get all the beats of the story, but so much of what makes this book, like, <laughs> special is the abstract, like, mental, uh, you know, ruminations that mm. Pi is having, and you can't really summarize those. Yeah, it is a yeah. bit difficult. Yeah, so uh, I, I think you did a great job, because I, when I was reading this, I was like, I don't know how this could possibly be summarized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did have a little bit of trouble here and there, but, <laughs> but no, it got I, done. I am really impressed with that summary that you just gave us. Well, I'd probably work on it longer than you guys do, because I only had to do one. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we go from here? All right, I want to, like, choose one... Uh, before we get into some of the abstract theoretical things, which I imagine we're going to touch on, like the discussions of religion and the other aspects that uh, mm -hmm. really permeate a lot of this book, I want to talk about um, one of the like narrative structural elements to this story. And the reason this stuck out to, uh, to me is because of the Star Wars prequels, actually. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I've been listening to uh, another podcast called Star Wars Minute, and they're, they're talking about the prequels, and... They mentioned that, like, anytime Obi-Wan Kenobi is in danger, there are no stakes, because you know Obi-Wan Kenobi is alive in A New Hope. Mm. Right. And this book, like, structurally, they established very early on that Pai Patel lives. Mm -hmm. Like he, he has to grow up and tell that story and yeah. have kids. And He's not like going to die on this boat. And yet, like, I felt the stakes in this story that I don't feel in Star Wars prequels. Like I agree with that, that criticism in Star Wars prequels. Like you don't really feel those stakes. And I was thinking about like, why do I care so much more about this when I know he's going to get out of it? And it made me make another connection that in some ways, because of that structure, this ends up being more of a heist film where like, you know, in a heist film, they're going to get the goods, you know, the, the whoever's trying to steal, whatever is going to steal whatever the MacGuffin is right. for that particular film, but it's how they do it. That matters. And I know Pai Patel is going to live through, this lifeboat adventure where there's a tiger. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's the how that I actually mm -hmm. start caring about. And the, and the Star Wars prequels, I think, sometimes fail to make you care about the how even. Like, the, the stakes that, don't feel as real. Isn't that, like, the, the heart of the survival tale in general? Like, Robinson Crusoe is the classic example of this, right? Like, you know he's not going to die on the island, but you, the thing that you're most interested in is just how he's going to to make it off or out. So... 
Yeah, depending I, I on, mean, on which, what kind of survivalist of... tale. Because if you're reading, uh, you know, naturalists, they're not going to make it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my wife and I watched the other day. Um, oh, The Shallows. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you guys it's seen The Shallows? The, no, it's the, no, it's the surfer with the sharks, <laughs> right? Is that it? Huh? Is absolutely. It's like gripping. I mean, it is so good, and it is. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, and. Uh, but like we were both just totally on the edge of our seats the whole time, and it's a, Can you give it's a, a quick total summary for listeners who are unfamiliar with it. Um, it's a woman, and she's surfing alone on a beach in uh, Mexico, and a shark attacks her, and she ends up like kind of stranded on a rock within sight of the beach, and the shark the shark is just kind of swimming around her, and the tide is rising, and she knows that when the tide gets high, then the shark's going to eat her. And she has to try to figure out a way to survive and get away from the shark. And it's just a total, it's just a survivor tale. And she has to kind of keep her wits about her and use knowledge that she has of different things to get out of this situation. Um, and it, it actually got really good reviews. And it, I, I, I was thinking a lot of that, that film as I was uh, listening to this story. But it's just, a, it's, I mean, I, I think there's something really intriguing about tales of survival and people who just refuse to give up and keep going on in the, in, in the face of totally daunting odds. Now I'm thinking about the book hatchet that I had to read back in fifth grade. Oh, totally. and I, did not in, I did not enjoy that book at all. And the difference of why, uh, <laughs> for me, I think the difference was I didn't really care about this kid. Like mm-hmm. I didn't really know much about his backstory at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just him just trying to survive in the middle of the wilderness somewhere. And I'm like, this is just the woods. And <laughs> so you're making a fire. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so boy scout in me. I, I love, I love a good survivor tale. I did like uh, Hatchet, but I like, I also think, like Todd, you said like, that's the truth of all survivors. But I think of, uh, is it Jack London's, uh, to build a fire? Isn't that Jack London? Uh, yes. He wrote oh, two versions of that story. That story is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of these kinds of stories, but it doesn't end well. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, uh, what I think Alana just said about, you didn't care about Hatchet because you didn't care about that character. I think that's why the, the part in India where you're meeting him and his family and you're seeing mm-hmm. like that family dynamic and especially like the, the spiritualism oh, yes. that he has. Like, that's why I think I cared so much about him on the boat. So if the movie cut a lot of that out, I think some of the key parts are, uh, you know, are going to be missing from. Fair point. My um, memory, my memory of the film is that they did cut a lot of that out. Is that, is that right? Um, it's been a while since I've watched the movie, but it would not surprise me if that was true. I mean, there's so much philosophy and this, I think one of the things that I loved about this book is this combination of uh, spiritualism and theology and zoology mm-hmm, and yes. kind of like scientific rationalism uh, and to see the way that those things fit together in Pai's mind, like yin and yang, I think is, um, is just, it, it, cre- it, cre- it makes him a really strong character and one that I think we care about deeply. And a very unique character. I mean, we've talked about, at this point, about 100 characters, and I can't think of anyone that I would really compare Pi to. No. In the ones that we've talked about. I haven't given any thought, but... Um, One of my favorite moments that does exactly that, Todd, and it was one of the notes that I had of, like, things I have to talk about. Like, I emailed this to myself. I'm like, don't forget this. It's the scene (laughs) where... Now I can't remember their names, but you have uh, his school teacher, who's an atheist. This is the first atheist that he's ever met. 
and then his Muslim teacher, and they have the exact same name. So, oh, yeah. Uh, they have the same name, and they actually meet at the, at zoo, the zoo, watching the zebra, and both these men are just in awe of the zebra, but for very different reasons. One, because um, he's like, God made this creature, and I've never imagined this kind of creature, uh, the Muslim teacher. Uh, I had never heard of a zebra before he was in the zoo with Pi, and was like asking all these questions, and he was just in complete and utter awe that this creature existed and that God made it. And then his uh, atheist school teacher is just amazed at the biology and like the, the survival adaptations that exist within the zebra mm-hmm. and that, and that like natural evolution created this creature and Pi is standing in between the two and can see both their points of view. And what, like what you were saying, Todd, for me, I think Pi doesn't see those points of view as contradictory. Like this no, idea not at all. Um, of not. God uh, creating this and, evolution leading to this he's like yes <laughs> for yeah. reply, it's like yes and, and so you have these three people who are appreciating this creature and and almost like um seeing it as as majesty right mm-hmm. uh and all of them have a different reason for what they're feeling and how they're viewing this creature kind of reminds me of um, you said we haven't seen any characters like this but we have come across this idea before in um till we have faces where mm-hmm. There's this uh, wow, it, one of the priests is talking and they're they're saying, you know, is she is she taken by the god or is she killed by the god? And the and the guy says yes, and it's like mm-hmm. it can't be it cannot be both, mm-hmm. and and uh, I think we get that with Pi with his religious leaders where they're like you cannot be Christian and Muslim and Hindu, and he's like why not? And they're like it's <laughs> so maddening to them. And yet, for Pi, it's just, it's there's no there is no contradiction. He's able to find balance, um, in a way that's totally unique to him. And even when um, in one of the, the one of the chapters where it's being told from the point of view of the author who is visiting Pi, like he's going through his house, he's mentioning like every religious relic mm-hmm. <laughs> that exists in the house, and it's a lot <laughs> of religious relics that would seem to be. Uh, ones that would not get along, <laughs> I guess you yeah. could say, or, or historically have not gotten along particularly well. And for Pi, it's all about the love of God. Mm-hmm. And all of these are representations of the love of God. Yeah, like this, everything has a different aspect. I think it kind of like, because his first religion was Hinduism, and that is all, all, you got all these aspects of God already. I think that primed him a little bit to be able to be like, well, uh, Christian beliefs is another aspect and Muslim beliefs is another aspect. So mm. I think that might be part of the reason why he's so able to uh, say yes to everything. And uh, it is, I mean, and like <laughs> theologically, it is completely contradictory. I mean, like Hinduism is polytheistic mm-hmm. and Christianity is kind of polytheistic. <laughs> Mostly monotheistic, unless you. Depending let's on your not talk Trinity. about Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the. Well, but um, I mean, there's there's a there's a unique view of who God is in Christianity, but but Islam is like, <laughs> it's the definition of monotheism, right? Like mm-hmm. number one tentpole in Islam is there is no God but Allah, and so. <laughs> like you could sit down with Pi and say, "Okay, Pi, listen. <laughs> you cannot be Muslim, and I mean, you like you can't." But for some reason, he's just like, "No, that's okay. I'm okay." <laughs> and it, it's, it doesn't bother him at all, and I think that's fascinating for somebody who's so like rational and you know, like put together. 
Yeah, because um, I was going to ask, what uh, he went to Cambridge, right? Is that... I don't remember. Was it... Do you remember what school he was at? Mm. And his double major was theology and... Zoology. Zoology. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, uh, once again, we're seeing this, like, hard science and hard religion existing simultaneously, which is... Um, maybe conversations are being held within Pi's own head that need to be held more often in the world. Mm, that's, yeah, fair point. <laughs> Instead of uh, each side kind of demonizing the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a lot of the aspects of religions are things like love each other, be nice, uh, uh, God created the universe, things like this. Uh, and most of us can agree on things like that. Well, that last one, God created the universe, yet atheism not really believing in that. I'm not big on that one. <laughs> but uh, there's still all these beliefs that we do share, and it's the ones that are different that we all get really hung up on because it's the one that's different. It's easier to fight about because if we're disagreeing, then, like, it's, like, what makes me different from you? And mm-hmm. so uh, people want to put that stake in the ground, I suppose. And he doesn't, Pi doesn't care. He's like, I'll just... I am the world, kind of a thing. <laughs> I don't know. So, th- this book is called Life of Pi, and Alani, you talked about how you bought it because you thought it was about Pi the number. Yes. And then you were disappointed when you found out that it's not, but I'm not so sure that it's not well, about Pi it, the number. Are you talking about how he's kind of irrational, and Pi is an irrational number? Is that where you're going for? So, uh, I'm just going to read a little paragraph here from um from wikipedia being an irrational number pi cannot be expressed exactly as a fraction Mm, still fractions such as 22 over 7 blah 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 the digits appear to be randomly distributed in particular the digit sequence (laughs) let's see where am i looking for here it is a transcendental number a number that is not the root of any non-zero polynomial Having rational coefficients, this transcendence of pi implies that it is impossible to solve the ancient challenge of squaring a circle with compass and straight edge. So it is, it is irrational. It's also infinite, and it's also fundamental to our understanding of the universe. Like pi just shows up over and over and over and over again in these like fundamental equations about the universe. It's it's like a key. And once once we understood pi, we be, we began to understand our universe like f- far better. And I just I I think I feel like there's something there with this book. Like not only is it not only is it irrational, but it's also infinite, and it's also fundamental to like logical understanding of the universe. There's no patterns; it repeats forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't repeat at all. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I, it, I mean, it repeats meaning meaning. Yeah, it doesn't. It repeat. extends. <laughs> it extends. Thank you. It extends yeah. forever and ever and ever. No repetition. No patterns. And yet, the it's closest thing you get is a uh, Feynman point. Is that what it's? What do you? I can't remember how to You're pronounce well his name. You're well outside my area. But it's, you would know. Uh, a sequence of nines. Uh, it's six nines in a row. And uh, Richard Feynman was like nine 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 nine. And so forth. <laughs> and, and so forth. he wanted to memorize pi to that point, but I don't know if he ever did. I have not. I think it's about mm-hmm. 700 digits in. Uh, my record is 480, so yeah, not quite there yet. 700 would be significant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's people who've done it. Yeah, anyway. It's, it's just like, 
it's it just seems really like fundamental to the the universe and our understanding of the universe and i think that pi the character is is trying to do that he's trying to understand the universe and he's trying to get at the like the fundamental principles like what is that that one perhaps illogical and infinite number that can help him understand make sense of everything and he seems to find it in this kind of incomprehensible mishmash of religions and science and things but he seems he seems to feel really comfortable in thinking that he found he found it like he sol- he solved it hmm. i don't know i think that I, th- I think it's not accidental that his name is pi i don't think so either but there's lots of different things you can find in that number i think you found many of them um oh, i want to talk some about the end of the book when um, he tells a story to the Japanese, uh, what do we want to call them? The, the businessmen or the insurance? Let's just or, say invest- just, interrogators. Interrogators, yeah. And so he tells the story that we have in the book of him with the tiger and, um, you know, everything that happened. And I just want to know from you two, like when they were doubting his story, what was your reaction? <laughs> uh, it's been too long since I had my first time around with this. Uh, I probably was like, yeah, I can understand why you're having a bit of trouble with this, but I didn't think that there was any other story at this point because mm-hmm. Pi hadn't told right. story number two. So I was like, I can understand why you're not believing it, but it's what happened because he said so. Yeah. What about you, Todd? I was, I was totally sucked into this book from the beginning <laughs> this time around. And uh, I actually... I had to stop for a minute and do some research and say, okay, did this really happen? Because this is amazing. <laughs> and so I went and did some research and then I was kind of disappointed when I found out that it's fiction. Nah. Um, I know. And, and I, and I get so annoyed with people who do that, but I did it because it's just so well told. And I'm a, such a sucker for survival tales that I'm really interested in knowing like, man, did somebody really do that? Because that would be astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, I found it just so totally believable. And when the Japanese guys were interrogating him, I was like, come on guys, give him a break. He just did this amazing thing. (laughs) And I had totally forgotten about the secondary story. And then when he told it, I was crushed. I was so sad. Um, I was was like walking down the hall in the student center and I could feel my pulse like racing. And my, my breath was like, like I was, I was like totally into, into this completely when he was telling that second story and thinking that that cannot be true. I was so yep. sad. Mm-hmm. I, I had a very similar, like I was angry at the Japanese uh, businessmen uh, who are there for the company that whose ship sank. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, like you Todd, I was like, stop it. <laughs> like you don't pick on someone who's just recovering from this. And obviously his story is true. Cause what else could be true? Um, and I was just wondering about like, what is it? When this entire book is fiction, why did I feel like that need to defend Pi, do you think? I'm still <laughs> no, I do this well, with my students all the time where I'm like, the whole thing is fake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and they're saying you made up that story, and it's a made up story, but I really wanted to defend Pi. I think it goes back to the whole idea of the unreliable narrator. Like most of the time we want our narrators to be reliable because 
we want to believe, like we want to invest in this story, but um, we find out that Pi is actually an unreliable narrator when he starts giving his second story that mm-hmm. it's for just like, You've been unreliable this whole time. Uh, well, and then, but I'm I still left with the you. question, and this is getting into really unreliability. Is he really unreliable, or is he just giving them a version of a story that he knows they'll swallow, so they'll leave him alone? <laughs> yeah. and, and so, like, is the second story the unreliable one, or is yeah. the first one? My first time reading this, I believed that the first one was true. Um, this, when I watched the movie, I had to believe that the second was true just because of the inflection that Pi is having while he's like very, he looks very traumatized when he's talking about what happened to his mom and things like that. And I was like, oh, I guess number two is true. And now I'm like, I've read it again and I'm a little bit on the fence. Like, I'm not sure which one I want to believe. Like, I can see both of them being true, but like... I'm leaning slightly towards more the second one is probably the true one because like most of the time we tell stories to ourselves uh, to make things a little bit easier for us. It's not so often that we tell stories to ourselves to make it harder on us. So what about you? There's no way I think, I mean, I want, I want the story with Richard Parker to be true. And in my mind, like that is the, that is the story and it's the most important story that's told here, but I cannot imagine Pi making up the story about his mother uh, fighting the Frenchman, being stabbed, his blood splashing on her. The Frenchman cuts off her head and Either throws way, it way, at around him. Her blood splashing on him. Her blood splashing on him. The Frenchman beheads her. I, I mean, I just can't imagine Pi making up that story. Even if he was like frustrated with the with the Japanese interrogators, there's mm-hmm. no way that if he has to make up a story, that's what he comes up with. Not this guy. I mean, this like peaceful, peace loving kid. There's no way that he comes up with that story unless that's what really happened to him. Although he has like had his cycles of despair, and when you despair, you just start thinking the worst of every single thing. So he might have. Uh, thought to himself, oh, maybe my mother died like this uh, mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Possible, not especially likely, uh, but meh. <laughs> What do you think, Joe? Do you think... I uh, I mean, I think this is kind of like, um, just to throw out another reference, the film Inception, we're not supposed, like, we are mm. meant to be left... Right. Without answers. Without answers. Like, there's no yeah. definitive answer to this. And I definitely want the Tiger story to be the true story, uh, the other story feels more likely <laughs> to have occurred. Um, but there are so many details in the tiger story that like Todd, you're saying like, how could he have made up the story of how his mom died? How could he have made up everything that exists in the tiger story? And again, acknowledging that both of these stories are made up. <laughs> by Jan he, was, yeah. <laughs> he was on the boat. He was on the boat for 270 days, 27, That's 227, 227 days. <laughs> I think it's plenty of time to have made up a story of his mom dying. The way is that, that really true? Dying. He was on there for 227 days? Yep. Oh. 22 okay. over 7. Yeah. Yeah. That's Which is pie. For pie. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's plenty of time to think of a story about a tiger. Well, I think it's also plenty of time to think of a story about his mom. <laughs> but I just don't think that he makes up that one, right? Like, if you yeah. have 227 <laughs> days. Accepting that argument as much as Todd. One thing. Um, when Orange Juice first shows up, 
like go back and read it. Like he's using like this like very virgin maternal. Mary types <laughs> maternal yeah. things, and so it's like his psyche is very much associating orange juice with mother. So yeah, uh, I feel like uh, having uh, this maternal orangutan uh, stand in for his mother is probably uh, more true than the reverse. Do you think it's also? Do you think it's also possible that in his mind? For those 227 days, he really is. I mean, like, that Richard Parker is there with him. Mm. So he, the the second story happens, and then he invents. And then he has a psychic break and invents the whole other story and lives that story. Even though it's not really happening, he's really alone on the raft. Yeah. But he believes that there's a tiger there. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Yeah. I mean,. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, 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 I just I feel like Richard Parker is such a fundamental key to his survival mm. that it's not that Richard Parker can't be a story that he makes up lying in his bed, you know, after he gets off of the boat. Like I think that Richard Parker is is there with him in some form, whether it's like a hallucination or just an imaginative exercise that like a, a survival technique that he uses. Well, I think since uh, Pi is represented by the tiger, like Pi's more animalistic traits are found in Richard Parker. Mm-hmm. So I feel like all the things that he's doing, like eating fish and things like that uh, to survive, it's easier for him to think that, oh, no, it's Richard Parker that's eating all the fish. Or I guess he does get used. He says he's getting used to eating. He loves eating fish. fish. He's yeah. just killing. He, no. he loves but at first, maybe blood. I don't know. I don't know. It's just that that turn where when he when he decides like I have to keep Richard Parker alive. That's the thing that keeps him alive is keeping Richard Parker alive. Mm-hmm. And that's why he had a tiger with him in the boat the whole time, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm not. <sighs> well, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, except that I don't think that like if you or I went by the boat that we would see a tiger in the boat. But I do yeah. think that in Pi's mind, there was a tiger in the boat. The, the doubt that I have, or like the question that I have is, is that voluntary on his part? Like, is he willing Richard Parker into existence or is it like madness where he sees a tiger, but like he has no control over this. Does that make sense? Yes. So you taught, you are fully on board with the idea that, the second story told is what really happened. Yes. Okay. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move forward after, yeah. as if it was? <laughs> as if which one? The second story was? Yeah. The sure. second story is uh-huh. true. I'm fine with that. Just Either way. Just my dis. <laughs> you know. <laughs> my discontent with that theory. Um, there. Well, the, Jan Martel, he was asked what, like, the major... Um, point of this, <laughs> or, or like, how would you summarize the book? And he said, there's three statements. Life is a story. You can choose your story. A story with God is a better story. Mm. That's a nice summation of the story. Yeah. And the story with Richard Parker is the story with God. And the other story is not. Although he does say then, I, you know, like after this I, tragic beginning, yeah. then I prayed a lot and I made it through. 
So, so why, why is the story with Richard Parker the story with God and not the other one if in both instances he cites God? Maybe because the story with the, the tiger is more unbelievable and uh, many people think that God is the harder thing to believe in. So. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, so Jan Martel, in summarizing his book, he says that, you know, you can choose your story and the story with God is the better story. But within the book... Pi asks, like, explicitly, like, which is the better story? And everyone agrees, well, the one with the tiger is the better story. So I think he is saying, definitely, in Yamartel's mind, the tiger story is the one with God. So mm-hmm. what is, what are the godly elements in that story? Right. Uh, well, I think there's a lot of symbolism. Obviously, like, you already identified the uh, kind of uh, maternal symbolism that happens with the orangutan. Uh, but I think, like, um, in one of the weirder aspects of this, the the algae island oh dear which like like you todd like i immediately like is there such a thing as an algae island <laughs> like well they have a trash island somewhere out in the well yeah, and he, yeah. Started, he ran into the trash island or, or a version of the trash island periodically like i was like is this is this part real and i love it when there's fiction books that make me like say like this is this can't be real but is it and i want to go research mm-hmm. uh that and that um that whole sequence is weird, but I think there's lots of religious symbolism within that sequence. That oh, yeah. It's completely absent from the other version of his life on the raft. Mm-hmm. So some of the, let, let's dig into what is some of the religious imagery? Well, you have kind of the tree of life aspect right, where he finds the tree that has the fruit and it's the only tree bearing fruit. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's when he, you know, quote unquote, partakes of that fruit that he gets off the island <laughs> where he's like, oh, no, mm-hmm. yeah. this, I, I can't be here anymore. Yeah, we got very Garden of Eden sorts of place just because it's like everything is peaceful. Like there isn't anything killing at each other. Or I should say Tree of Knowledge, I guess not Tree of Life. Yeah. You know, when he predicts of that one. Yeah. Um, and he gains knowledge, you know, by going to that and yeah, and looking at the fruit. And then he has to leave. He has to leave immediately. Right yeah. And it is definitely Eden-esque compared, I mean, it's paradisiacal compared to where, mm-hmm. where he has been. Like in the language describing it. And, and even like um, the idea of like, like the way it gets described that he needs to test it with his foot to believe that it's true. Like you're getting into doubting Thomas from the mm. New Testament kind of, kind of like what is faith? What is belief um, aspects? So any, anything else that stuck out to you in that passage, Todd? Of the, of the Island. Yeah. Yes. That's more religious. I've been reading a lot about Chi lately and, uh, and this idea of, um, dichotomy and like balance and harmony in nature. And so like light and darkness, movement and stillness, um, life and death. And I think we get a lot of that, um, like breathe in, breathe out, right? Like inhale, exhale. And it's, I think that there's kind of a beautiful balance, kind of terrifying balance, uh, to the island and the way that it, when he realizes like it's an entity, right? It's not sentient, but it's, but it's alive and it, and it has, it is life and it is death. And, um, and that's, it's kind of terrifying to him. It's like, like seeing the face of God kind of. Well, Lana and I were talking a little bit beforehand, like there's all these contradictions on the Island. Uh Um, like the carnivorous, carnivorous plant, Mm -hmm. which obviously that exists. Like he, he references the, uh, Venus flytrap later when he's talking mm-hmm. with the, the businessman, but that's not like no, a normal it's like occurrence. shifting from acidic to not acidic with every day. Yeah. The, like the day and night difference of how the Island mm-hmm. exists, the placid, uh, meerkats. 
<laughs> which uh, from what he was saying is not, would not be true in nature. Like, like, like they, yeah. they don't even care when they're being eaten. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how. And the, you have the, the fresh water in the middle of the, you know, the saltwater ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, so there's lots of these contradictions that exist only on that Island. And what I love think when, about- he, when he's telling the story, he says like, no one's going to believe this. Like it's biologically impossible. Everyone tells me that, but it, this is what I found. And <laughs> he goes forward and tells yeah. the story yeah. of the Island. What do you think about Richard Parker as God? I mean, he is he is like the central powerful force in it, that. Um, Pi explicitly says that you gave me life, essentially. Like, <laughs> like I, um, his reason for being and his continued existence is because of Richard Parker. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. constant presence as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Seems a but bit wrathful at times, I guess. Yeah, a little Old Testament God <laughs> at times. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, I don't think Pi would have a hard time with that. Nope. <laughs> I think Pi would just be just fine uh, mm-hmm. with the different aspects of deity. Yeah. I mean, he only he only even touches Richard Parker, like, once? Once. Mm-hmm. It's only once when, uh, when he, they're both dying, right? And he's going blind? Mm-hmm. Is that right? I yeah. Think so... Trying to remember what happens on the island. I I don't know. I know he like tries taming him on the island, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I think a lot of the questions we're raising, there's no real answer to, and that's part of the uh, (laughs) the nature of this book. It is. (laughs) I I wanted to mention one other thing that I was thinking about, and this was this was when I was totally on board with Richard Parker being real. Which which I'm kind of backing away from now, but I think that the idea itself. still stands and this idea of ubuntu which i think i've talked about mm, at other times but yes. um i was just reading this book called no future without forgiveness by desmond tutu and he talks about um ubuntu and he says ubuntu is very difficult to render in a western language it speaks of the very essence of being human when we want to give high praise to someone we say you no ubuntu hey so and so has ubuntu Then you are generous, you are hospitable, you are friendly and caring and compassionate. You share what you have. It is to say, my humanity is caught up, is inextricably bound up in yours. We belong in a bundle of life. We say, a person is a person through other persons. It is not, I think, therefore I am. It says, rather, I am human because I belong, I participate, I share. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, does not feel threatened that others are able and good. For he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished, when others are tortured or oppressed or treated as if they were less than who they are. So this, is a, I, this idea of like harmony, friendliness, community, that's at the like the essence of Ubuntu. And I feel like if we could boil down pies um religion or like philosophy on life i think we would get something really close to ubuntu and i agree with that (laughs) and i think we see that in his relationship with richard parker and how like pi exists because richard parker exists and richard parker exists because pi exists and neither of them survives without the other and and there's i think that's cool there's also, the, um, like, just think about his relationship with Richard Parker. There's this really interesting um, knowledge that Pi has about Richard Parker's true nature, but also his 
efforts to tame that nature, but he knows he's never really going to change it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, he is following the path of circus tamers, mm-hmm. so it's like well, becoming the alpha within the pack. You know, essentially yeah. becoming the alpha cat mm-hmm. uh, yes. on on this. But at the same time, like he needed that knowledge of his nature, and as much as he's going to try, it's more like he's directing the nature than really changing his nature. That's fair. Uh, it's interesting to think about if we if we if we follow this idea that Richard Parker is representing God. It's interesting this idea of taming God. And that maybe that's what religions do <laughs> is it's a way of like taming this all powerful, essentially unknowable force and trying to trying to I don't know. I, I, I'm just fascinated by this well, idea of taming taming it and taming God. Yeah, and uh, well I think it can go back to uh the only reason Pi is able to again direct any of uh, Richard Parker's nature is because he is so informed because uh, he has this past knowledge that he gained as the son mm-hmm. of a zookeeper and also a voracious reader. Um, so he's, he's very well informed uh, and, and that understanding allows him to conceive of Richard Parker in a way that I certainly would not be able to <laughs> if I were alone <laughs> on a lifeboat. Uh, you wouldn't wait. be able to tame the tiger and no, no, uh, or even uh, have any real understanding other than threat. And I think, uh, religion tries to impart understand, like you said, of uh, w- what is largely this unknowable force <laughs> um, out there, uh, but is is trying to instruct as much as possible to give us the ability in this life to coexist. And I think that's something that is shared amongst religions that maybe have gone about it in different ways. <laughs> I mean, I'm not revealing anything to say that there's debates and disagreements within various religions about the nature and aspects of God. But I think all religions are trying to uh, gain greater understanding of that. Yeah. There's this really interesting um, book called Las Moradas by um, St. Teresa of Avila. And she, it's about like her spiritual journey towards God. And she had, she was a, she lived in the uh, 16th century in Spain and she had like incredible mind blowing spiritual experiences. And, uh, and the w- very first thing that she talks about is prayer. And she, she says, it's almost the flip side of this. Like, like religion has tamed God too much. And she says, when you pray, don't forget who you're praying to. <laughs> like, like so many times she says in our prayers, we treat God as if he were like a butler or something. And she says, you know, like, like she views God as Pi views Richard Parker as a, as a ter- terrifying, powerful, um, force it, to which you like before which you kneel, right. <laughs> or you, you at least, uh, like give him the respect that he deserves. And so I think it's, I, I'm, this idea of like taming God, but if you tame him too much and get too get too confident, then that's when you can get yourself in real trouble <laughs> with him. Um, I have one uh, thing that I wanted to uh, bring up um, with this, like if you would assume that uh, Pi was just traumatized, why does he b- think of a story that is like just sucks a little bit less instead of believing a story that is like 
all is well type of thing. Because at one point of the story he does, when he's talking to the Frenchman, and he's like, once upon a time, there was a banana, and it grew, and then it fell to the ground, and then someone came upon it and ate it. And then the other guy's like, that's a wonderful story. And it's just like, why do... Why does he choose to believe a story that has all these good elements, but also all these horrible things like him starving and things like that? Like, so if the tiger story is like escape from the horrid reality that he experienced. Yes. Why does he choose a horrible reality <laughs> to escape into? Yes. I think that he creates the story that he needs to survive. Okay. And I think that a beautiful story about like, lounging around on a boat would have gotten him killed. Like he needed, he needed, he needed that story. That was the story that was going to get him through story that has good and bad going existing instead of it all just being horrible. It's yin and yang. It's breathe in, it's breathe out. It's life and it's death. I can see that. He created a story that matches his worldview, which is, that the world is beautiful and there are beautiful moments, but it's also terrible. And, uh, but, but in order to survive, I can't imagine that he would have survived if he had created like a paradise for himself. Yeah. Well, either way, it was a miracle that he survived all these days, regardless of the circumstances that. Yes. Yeah, the, the second story doesn't really explain how he survived. <laughs> uh, it says that, After, well, uh, yeah, it just says he did. like learned how to uh, catch fish and whatnot from mm-hmm. the Frenchman, and he turned to God and used that as a way of keeping uh, his uh, psyche uh, yeah. going. And, but uh, like, as far as like uh, the nuts and bolts of survival, the well, first story actually explains it. Well, we so covered them in the first one, so he doesn't need to cover them in the second. Yeah, but meh. I'm. Uh, I have one question that I'm like dying to ask the Japanese interrogators, which is what does the, bo- what does the inside of the boat look like? Are, are there big tiger scratches? Cause if there are, <laughs> then there's a pretty good chance that like, Richard Parker was on the boat. <laughs> well, <laughs> like they talk about the, they talk about the like little animal bones, but they never mention if there are, or if there are not signs that for 227 days, a tiger, a giant Bengal tiger was in this boat. Well, well, shortly before he reaches the shore, we have him on the paradisical island, and he spends time cleaning the boat. And I, But like you, I'm still waiting for scratches well, or something like that. Even if there was, uh, could have been like in the struggle with the knife or mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah, I did not would... think about that ever in my <laughs> Well, and I also, book. like, before I got to the end, I was waiting for, like, a report of a tiger in Mexico. <laughs> uh, you know, for something that's going to confirm which of these stories you're supposed to believe. But again, that's not the point of this book. It is you, not. You're not going to get it confirmed. Yeah, it's the fantastic. It's Totoro. It's Totoro's The Fantastic, right? Like, this is the definition of fantastic literature, which is you get to the end and you don't know what happened. And there is no way of, of ultimately knowing. And, and that, you, you just have to be okay with that. Because there's this urge to, like, you want to ask the author, like, which one? Come on, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm flashing back to The Fault in Our Stars, where they kind of go and see the author to find out what happened. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Meh. Oh, don't spoil for it for me. I won't! <laughs> okay. All right, uh, any uh, final thoughts uh, about this book? Well, you guys gather yours. I just want to say, I've enjoyed our discussion. I loved the summary that we were given, but there's so much depth to Pi's philosophy 
that I think us looking back on the book, we're not able to share the way that it is in the book. So if this was interesting at it all to you, you should go read this book or get the audio book. And whether or not you know, this is certainly the kind of book that bears multiple readings because the story is pretty simple. Um, I mean, there are, there are some crazy elements in it, but it's not about, like you said at the very beginning, it's not about like, is he going to make it out or not? It's really about in part one, it's about this really interesting, complex religious philosophy. And part two is about a continuation of that and this great survival story. And anybody who likes either of those things, I think will really enjoy this book. And the part three is about troubling everything you've read and thought you knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I'm really glad that we got to talk about this. Me too. Any final thoughts, Alana? Um, just that like, it's sometimes worthwhile to just be optimistic. Like sometimes that is the only thing that'll get you through to just like, um, there's a sequence where he's talking about this is all gods and I am part of creation and things like that. And like, if he had ever like succumbed to that despair for too long, he would not have survived. So it is definitely a worthwhile thing to, to believe and to choose the better story um, because it makes things more worthwhile. And yeah. And also to see or, or accept that there's harmony, even if you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, like Pi saw it. He saw the harmony between science and religion. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of us can't see that, but accept that the harmony is probably going to be there. Uh, yeah. And, and carry forward with a little more um, willingness to accept instead of willingness to judge, I think mm-hmm. is a huge part of, of this uh, book. Now, Lana, before Todd gives us our outro, we always ask our guests the first time that they're on to answer the uh, dinner party question where if you could have any three to five fictional characters at a dinner party just to enjoy the conversation that would result what characters would you want to have with you i have been thinking about this question for like almost two years now because (laughs) i have been listening to this practically since the beginning i think if not from the very beginning i'm not entirely sure which week of that first month i came in on but I have actually thought of like three different possible dinner parties. Um, you've got like your dinner party classic. Uh, it's you've got like a dinner and a show type of a thing, or what I call the anti-dinner party. <laughs> so, yeah, that last one, the anti-dinner party, where for people with uh, dipnophobia, which is fear of dining and dinner conversations. So. <laughs> That's probably okay, where I I'd be most comfortable, but <laughs> I want to hear all three. So, oh, okay, so dinner party classic. We've got uh, Sophie from Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Jadzia Dax from Deep Space Nine, and uh, Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter. I so, love just, Professor McGonagall. They're just like all these like old lady types that just know all these things and they're just very friendly and they'll keep the conversation going and they're just really, really nice and <laughs> awesome. Um, dinner and a show. Uh, we've got King Richard from Gallivant. Um, that Gallivant is the show where they sing all the time and not that mo- very inappropriate. There's some inappropriate stuff in that show, but I love it anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Horrible from Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog and Pinkie Pie from uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. So this is all their singing, dancing, and just being crazy awesome. So by dinner and a show, you meant they are giving the show. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> okay. 
Um, and then the anti-dinner party, we've got Ellen Venture from Miss Born. Let's see. Uh, the author of the journals from uh, Gravity Falls. I'm not going to go into spoilers on that one because that's a spoiler. And then we've got Harry James Potter Evans Varis from Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which is a fanfic where Harry was raised by a scientist and he does not really care about social norms at all. And he would totally be reading a book at this whole thing. I think all of them would be reading at a book book at this whole thing. And that's kind of why I want to do it that way. We all reading our books and not talking to each other. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you, Alana, again, for joining <laughs> us in this discussion. And thank you for writing the summary of one of the books that I thought would be impossible to summarize. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed it. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us, and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes and leave us a review there. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog, we switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. If you liked our discussion about a boy and his existential discussions with the tiger, you may want to look at episode 83, where we discussed Calvin and Hobbes. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We are also on Twitter, at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And uh, Alana, are you on Twitter? Barely. Um, Barely. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pi Soprano, P-I Soprano, uh, is what I usually am on the internet, but I hardly ever tweet. Okay. Um, but, like, I do write fanfic, but there's not that much of it either, but meh. Who cares? <laughs> if you want to find me, just go to the Facebook page. I'll be trolling around. <laughs> So our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with all of our listeners. And Alana is one of our most frequent uh, contributors. And we'd love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link on our homepage or going to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon. It costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from your purchase. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. So long. All right. All right. You guys uh, didn't talk about the one thing I knew about Life of Pi because of my coworker. What was that? Uh, there's like a hundred. There's like exactly 100 chapters, right? Oh yes. yeah. So there's a one theory that each chapter is representative of one year in the 20th century. Like 69 is when he fires fireworks, which is when we landed on the moon. Oh. I have never, never heard, heard that, that ever. Oh, it's one of the it's one of the things that my coworker Michael Wyatt mentioned in one of his 18 different <laughs> monologues about Life of Pi. Is that 18 awesome. monologues? I don't know. He, he <laughs> went on about I barely had one, and that wasn't even a monologue. He was a big fan of Life of Pi, 